that was awesome. You guys were rocking out. Where else are you going to go on Sunday morning to hear that? That was great. Thank you all very much. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew Chapman. I'm a member here at Covenant, and I want to thank you for the, for the chance to be here with you uh, this morning in this service. This has been an influential place for me over the last several years. I won't say how many, but uh, uh, as I entered into seminary and listened to a call from God to uh, pursue pastoral ordination. So many thanks to you for putting up with me. Many thanks to the pastoral staff here as well for extending the opportunity to preach uh, many times. So thank you. Today's message is drawn from a small section of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible. It's one of the longer books or letters or epistles of the New Testament, um, a letter that somebody writ, had written to somebody else or a congregation of individuals. And as you read through this book um, that we know as Hebrews, one main point seems to bubble up over everything else, and it's this. Christ is superior. The author argues for the superiority of Christ over all things in life. Christ is superior to Moses. Christ is superior superior to Abraham, to a priest named Melchizedek, and on and on. And then a turn comes, which is where we jump in today. The author makes a turn by asking the question, which is good, good of us to ask whenever we're grappling with heady things or difficult concepts, is, so what? Now what? How then shall we live? Okay, Christ is superior, now what does that mean for me today? What are the implications for my life today? Are there any? Does it matter? The answer is, oh yes, it matters. Absolutely. And it has huge implications for how we're going to live our lives. So with that being said, let us turn our attention to Hebrews, beginning with the 39th verse of chapter 10. Before we read the word, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, your servants are here, eager and ready to receive your word, your inspired word, written and proclaimed. Illuminate the word and prepare our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear it. In the holy name of Jesus we ask, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Grant was struggling. When I first met him a number of years ago, he didn't hold anything back. It didn't take long to recognize that this was an individual, a young man who was heavily involved in a gang lifestyle that um, was affecting him, was affecting his family and everybody who he came in contact with. He was into drugs and he was a danger to himself and to others. Naturally, our hearts broke for him, but we still loved him. I liked him immediately. I liked his candor and his authenticity and uh, just simply the fact that he was a child of God who was looking for something. And so this small group of men did what we could do on our trip. We listened. We prayed for God to speak. It was no coincidence in our mind that, that this man was placed on this trip at this time for something, for a purpose. It was no accident. And so as the days went on, we prayed and listened, asking God to give us tender words to speak to Grant as God saw fit. And eventually, he broke. He said to Jesus, okay, I will follow you. I will surrender it all. Which was the best news that any of us could have hoped for, no? But the real challenge had just begun. Because Grant had to go back home back where everything was, where everybody was expecting the same old Grant and the same old things to happen and had no understanding and no real regard for his encounter with Jesus or this newfound faith. And there was a host of expectations, pre-existing expectations that were still going to be there for this new follower of Jesus. Indeed, it did not take him long to encounter the resistance, and quickly he found himself pulled in two different directions. While faith in Jesus was very real to him, the alternative was very real as well. It's a common struggle for us as Christ followers to be caught in between two worlds such as this. We're pulled towards Christ. We're called to Christ. God beckons us to come to him and on the other hand, there's something else, or someone else, or whatever. I can imagine that the writer of Hebrews witnessed this same thing early in the, the Christian movement, seeing others who were being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, this new faith, this um, offshoot of the established faith of the day, of the faith of their family perhaps, of, of Judaism, and when things got tough, it would have been easy to go back to being Jewish where your friends and family were, or back to your previous way of life that in many cases was less threatening to your well-being. And I know I feel that pull regularly. Christ wants it all. I'm called to be a devoted follower of Christ, but life and sin 
and work, we're living in a, a real world, but we're citizens of another, and we're pulled between two worlds. And frankly, at times, it feels as though it's too much. It's time to just give it up and to say, God, are you there? Perhaps it's a death in the family, a depression, a loneliness that can't be broken. But God is not silent in those moments. Verse 39 of Hebrews 10, We are not of those who shrink back and are lost. When life happens, when pain is unbearable, God says, stay with me. Don't let go. Don't shrink back. Instead, God calls us to trust him and to let him use those struggles to bring us closer to him, to bring us deeper into the faith. And that is the wonder of the grace of God, that when life is hard, when things don't line up the way we thought they would or expect them to, that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It's precisely the opposite, that when life gets hard, that is when we lean desperately into God and say, God, I trust you. Use the hard stuff. For God promises, not that life will be devoid of pain, but that in the hard stuff, God will be with us, that God will love you, that God will bear the pain with you, and that pain is not in vain and is not without fruit. Like my friend Grant, we do not shrink back whenever it gets hard. The text calls it faith. We have faith in God and Faith is what preserves us, what keeps us, what prevents us from shrinking back. And so that begs the question, what is faith? If that's what it takes, if that's what preserves me, then what does faith look like? What is an embodiment of faith? How do I embody this? Well, I can tell you that one, one thing that faith is not, it is, it is not wishful thinking for no reason. That's superstition. Faith, biblical faith, that is a faith that the Bible teaches us is assurance, confidence, trust in God because God is trustworthy. It's because of God that we have faith. It's because of God that we trust, that because of who God is, because of what God has done, because of Jesus we have every reason to believe. It is a well-founded reason for believing. Faith is trusting and faith is doing. It is hand, hand in hand, not one without the other. Believing and doing as two blades of a pair of scissors make a pair of scissors and a pair of scissors is not if it only had one blade. And again, the, the text helps us to wrap our minds around this, to, to understand faith embodied. And it gives us some examples of, of, of faith lived out on two levels, on a personal level and on a level of those who have come before us. 
So let us look at the text together. First, the personal. Faith looks forward and faith looks backward. Verse 2, the people of old received their commendation. Now another way to think of this is that the people of old, that is, those that came before us, the Greek word is by the way, is presbyterois, presbyterians, which is where we get that word from, presbyterois, those who lived and died before Jesus' day still trusted God. So on that side of the cross, those of old, on that side of the cross, still had faith. And what was it? A faith that said, God, the struggle is real and there's going to be a time or a way and a place that you make it right. I don't know what it looks like, but... Lord, you are in control. Now, faith looks forward, not out of wishful thinking, but expectantly because of God. And faith looks backward. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Hmm. So I wasn't there to see it myself. I was only born a few years ago, and I'm just a vapor, but, uh, I, I, so I didn't witness it, but uh, I trust you. I trust that you created the universe. Now, that's a hard one. That's a really hard one, is it not? But let me tell you, it is going to be hard. And you are witnesses to just how hard life can be. Don't shrink back. And it is so counterintuitive, is it not? This is the opposite of what the world expects of us. They, the, the world thinks that when it gets hard, let it go. God is no different than that new car that you bought, perhaps, that once it fails on you, you discard it and you get a new car. So let it go. Let God go. But no, it's not what it is. And it's counterintuitive, but they... Do not understand yet that the struggle brings us closer to God. When that loved one dies and, and you can't even breathe because the, the grief is so real and the pain is so hurtful that because of God, we don't say, God, I'm through with you. Because of God, we say, God, help me. You are my rock, and it's on you that I trust. Tears do not wash away faith. They water faith so that it goes down to the roots, and it makes our faith grow and build up and bear fruit for a hurtful world. So secondly, in the text, we see the faith of those who have come, come before us. So remember, the faith on a personal level, and then the faith on an external level, the faith of those who have come before us. It's embodied in other people, and we see it here in the text in a person named Abel. You can read the story of Abel yourselves in chapter 4 of Genesis, towards the beginning of, of Scripture. Abel and his brother Cain were um, the, the children of Adam and Eve, and they each had a different profession. They each did different things. Abel kept sheep and Cain worked the ground. And 
in the series of time, in the sequence of time, they each brought an offering to God. But they were different offerings. They, they each brought out of what they possessed, what they had. And for whatever reason, Scripture does not make it explicit, though theories abound. For whatever reason, God accepted Abel's offering and God commended him as righteous. Hebrews does not mention the fact that Cain killed Abel out of jealousy, which is the overwhelming message about these two brothers that has passed on through the ages. But no, the point of Hebrews 11.4 is that we look at Abel, we look at the sacrifice that, that he made, and that is faith. Abel offered a sacrifice to God. God accepted the sacrifice. Abel died, but he still speaks, even today. So if he is still speaking, what's he saying? And can we listen to him? If he is still speaking, what does he say? I have a hunch that it is something like, don't let go. Don't shrink back. Don't let go of God just because it's hard. When the, when the going gets tough, don't let go. And God shapes us, does he not? So that we may know that, yes, death may have its day, and pain and suffering may have power over me, but for a short time, because of Jesus, death does not have the final say. That no matter what, Jesus has still conquered the grave, that he defeated death, and because of that, we live. I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. It is the one who holds the past, the present, the future, and eternity. The one who holds it all. And it's because of him that we have faith. Because of him, I will fall in line with those who have come before me. With Abel, who sacrificed and God said, good. With Noah, who built a boat because God told him to. With Abraham, who packed it all up and left his home because of God's call. With Sarah, who trusted God even though she could not bear children. And we fall in line with those of our community who have come before us as well. With Jerry Tyndall, with John Skurlock, with Marguerite Nisley and Bud Ingstrom, with Lois Romig, with Bill Fletcher, with Colin Moore, with J.J. Baskin, and a host of others who still speak to us today, who have come before us, not only the year before us right now, but in all the years before us, who are now a part of a cloud of witnesses, dare I say, a large cloud of witnesses who advocate for us on, on our behalf. Thanks be to God for the witness of those who came before us. Thanks be to God for their faith. And may it be enough to help us. You may remember the name Tony Snow, who was the presidential press secretary, one of the presidential press secretaries under George Bush in the mid-2000s. 
a man of faith who died of cancer at the age of 53, leaving behind a wife and three children. His disease had advanced uh, far enough that he had to leave office, and before he left this world to go be in the, the next world, he had an opportunity to speak about what he was learning about real faith in a real world. Here's what he had to say. We want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye can see, but God likes to go off-road. He provokes us with twists and turns. He places us in predicaments that seem to defy our endurance and comprehension. Yet by his love and grace, we persevere. When a doctor says, it's cancer, the natural reaction is to turn to God and ask him to serve as a cosmic Santa. Dear God, make it all go away. Make everything simpler. But another voice comes and says, you have been called. May you have faith through the struggle to not shrink back, to preserve your souls because of him. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we are a broken people with very real struggles and very real pain, and you know that pain intimately. And we are so thankful for that, that we are not alone, that we are not without you in the struggle. Christ incarnate, Christ who took on flesh, who understands life that we go through, we thank you. And we pray that you would strengthen us as we go to work on Monday, as we sit in traffic or go to school. Be with us and guide us. And Lord, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of joy for those who have come before us, for those who we love, we still love. We thank you for their witness, for their faith that still speaks to us today. Help us, Lord, to hear it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.